All right, we'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew, Matthew chapter 14. We're going to be starting um, there. We're also going to be looking at Acts chapter 4 just a little bit. Today we're talking about going from doubt to confidence, um, and we see that in the life of Peter here. Uh, as we look at Peter, we're going to look at two little narratives, uh, short narratives from him, uh, like what happened to him. We're going to see his doubt and then his confidence in the Lord. And as believers, as those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, um, we want to be men and women of confidence in the Lord. We want to be those who can fight off doubt with our shield of faith, as Paul talks about. And so um, today, let's go ahead and read that, and then we'll start um, after that. We're going to read 24 through 33 uh, for this this scripture reading, this portion of it. It says, But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, Command me to come on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said, You of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. Let's go ahead and pray as we start here. Dear God, we just come before you and we thank you for this day you've given to us. And I pray that um, as we look at the life of Peter and we look at what happens to him and uh, the trials that he goes through and then also look at his response to those trials, I pray that um, you'd encourage or convict us as needed um, in our lives, God, because we are going to go through trials and we're going to go through things, God. And I pray that we would uh, be men and women who have confidence in you. I pray all this through Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this is my son, Pike. Uh, most of you guys in here probably know him. He's about two years old. Uh, but I have a little story about him. So um, I'm not a morning person. I don't like getting up in the mornings, and neither does he. Okay, So when he wakes up, he's a little cranky sometimes. Anyway, I woke him up the other day. Um, well, actually, I think he woke up on his own. But I brought him in, and I'm, I'm trying to feed him breakfast. And we give him oatmeal a lot of times for breakfast. So I was like, got him this bowl of oatmeal. And uh, we like to try and not give him a ton of sugar. Uh, as most of you with kids probably do with your kids. Uh, So this time, though, I decided to give him a little brown sugar on top of his oatmeal. And so I I sprinkled a little brown sugar on his hot oatmeal, okay? And, of course, what happens to brown sugar when you sprinkle it on? It kind of melts, you know, and it comes like more of a liquid, like a dark brown liquid. And so my son, who's in a cranky mood already because he's early in the morning, he says, I can't see the brown sugar, Dad. Where's the brown sugar? I said, I, I literally put it on right in front of your face, dude. I like sprinkled it on while you were watching. He said, I don't see any brown sugar. Where's the brown sugar? He starts crying, you know, because he's two years old. And so he's crying and he's like, where's the brown sugar, dad? Where's the brown sugar? I said, son, there's brown sugar. It's on there. You got to trust me. It's on there. And he's like, I don't see the brown sugar. So I, I get the spoon and I put every single bite in his mouth, right? Because I'm like, there's, there's brown sugar on this one. There's brown sugar on this one. There's brown sugar on this one, and I have to do that constantly because he can't see the brown sugar, and he can't understand that brown sugar melts when it gets hot. He just doesn't understand. Even though he saw the brown sugar on it, it melted, so even though he visually could see it, he he couldn't understand that there was brown sugar, and a lot of times in our life, or in my life, we do that with God. I'm Pike in this situation, and God, you know, he's our father, and... um, 
we say, God, I can't see the brown sugar. And he's like, it's there. I literally put it on right in front of your face. It's there. You know, and we might say, God, I don't see how you're good. I don't see how all these things can work out together for my good if I love you. And he says, well, it does. You might say, well, I don't, I don't see how you love me in this situation. Or I don't see how you love this person in this situation. He says, well, I do. And you might say, well, I don't understand this. And he says, well, it's just because you, you can't. You can't understand it. Or you don't see it yet, and you will. Or it's right in front of your face. You're just, you're just not looking. You're just not seeing it. And so today what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about going from that doubt or a place where we struggle with that doubt to confidence. Because what happens in Peter's life is to me amazing, and it gives me so much hope because I struggle with doubts and fears and anxieties and things like that like everybody else does, but Peter comes from a place where he's struggling with all that to a place in Acts, which we'll see where he stands up, and man, he's not struggling with that. Okay, Not that those arrows of doubt aren't flying at him, but he's got to show the faith up, so we're going to look at that. Uh, most people love Peter. Um, if you're like me, you like Peter because he's like a, a normal guy and he struggles a lot. Um, not very many of us are like Paul, right? We see a blinding light. We get blinded, hear Jesus talking to us, see Jesus talking to us, and then we're on fire for God for the rest of our lives. You know what I mean? Like, and you write 13 books of the Bible. I mean, not very many of us are like Paul. Uh, most of us are like Peter. You know, Jesus would call us Satan, tell us to get behind him. We deny him three times. We start walking on the water, and then we start sinking because we don't think God can keep us up. You know, I mean, that's who we are. Uh, at least me. You know, there's a lot of people like Paul too, I guess, but I'm more like Peter, and so I can relate with him. And today, as we go through and we look at these two, I can relate to Peter, um, especially in the first one, and hopefully in the second one in Acts 2. So let's start by looking at uh, walking on the water, the, the story, the account of Peter walking on the water. It may be one of the most famous accounts of Peter in the Bible. Um, here we see doubt and faith of Peter, okay, which is interesting. Yeah, you see tons of faith at the start, and then he gets a little distracted, and he starts doubting. Um, and even at the end, Jesus says, Oh, ye, you of little faith. He had faith, um, but he did doubt. And so we're going to look at that. Now, I'm going to read. go ahead and read verse 24 again uh, as we go through it, and we're going to go through this account. It says, But the boat was already a long distance off from the land, and it was battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Okay, so very start, they're out in the middle of this storm, okay, which we're going to talk about in a second. Um, but really before we dive in, as we read this first one, I got three questions that I want to kind of talk about. First one um, is, had Peter already believed in Jesus as the Messiah? Okay. Uh, did Peter have faith in Jesus, his love, his power, his word while he was walking on the water? And then also, did Peter have faith in Jesus' love, power, and word while he was sinking? And these are all important because we're talking about faith here. We're talking about not doubting. Okay. Uh, first, that first one, I'm just going to answer it because... Um, we're not really looking at it in the, pa- in, the two, uh, in the passage, but the next two we're going to look in the passage. Had Peter already believed in Jesus as Messiah? Yes, we believe he had. I believe without a doubt. If you want to study more, you can go to John chapter 1 and chapter 2. It's the wedding at Cana there, and there's five disciples with Jesus at that point. And all, it says that those disciples believed in Jesus during that miracle. And it's another interesting fact about that miracle is that uh, nobody knew that it happened except the disciples, the servants, and Mary, obviously, who asked for it. Uh, but I think that... that Miracle was for Peter and those other four disciples with him who believed at that point. So we're going to assume today that Peter had already believed in Jesus as the Messiah. So he believes that Jesus is going to be the Messiah. Now he's been with him for a while, and they're in this situation. Did he have faith in uh, Jesus' love, word, and, and power? We're going to look at that as we go through. But at this point, he's believed, and now he's out on the boat, and he's in the middle of this lake, okay, the Sea of Galilee. 
okay, and this storm comes up, and it's a big storm, okay, it's a big storm. It says that the wind is contrary, and they're in the middle of the lake, okay, so this means they're in the middle of the sea of Galilee, in the middle of the lake, and they can't get back, okay, the wind is contrary, they can't get where they're wanting to go, they can't get anywhere, and if you know anything about, uh, you know, shipwrecks and like sailing and all that stuff, which I don't know a ton, but uh, you do a little bit of sailing and you do a little bit of reading, okay, you're in a boat, and you're like, well, the wind's just blowing that way, and you're on a lake, so you can get to the shore right over there, just put the sail up, and well, if you run uh, with the wind into the shoreline, your boat's going to break up, right, so they're in the middle of the lake, and they can't get anywhere, in fact, I have this, um, this is a, this picture is actually a picture painted by Rembrandt, okay, so it's a pretty cool painting, a pretty famous one, but I have a quote from this guy, it's actually a little story, his name is Dr. Buchanan, he was actually out on the Sea of Galilee, and a storm came up on him. He says, he says this about it. He says, While gazing on the suggestive scenery around us, our earnest conversation was suddenly disturbed by a moment among the Arab crew. All at once, they pulled in their oars and stepped, stepped their masts and began to hoist their long, very rattletteen sail. What can those fellows mean to do with that sail in a dead calm? But they were right. There comes the breeze, rippling and ruffling the lately glassy surface of the lake. It reaches us before the sail is rightly set. A few minutes more, and it is blowing hard. The bending and often spliced yard threatens to give way, and the tattered leech of his sail seems as if it would rend right up and go away into shreds. To go upon the wind in such a craft is impossible, meaning you can't go against it. You can't go anywhere. There's nothing to do but just to slack away and run before it. Okay, and there, and there, uh, sorry, and where are we going was our first inquiry when things had gotten a little bit into shape. And then where the wind takes us was the reply of the old graybeard at the helm. And away we went, the lake now all tossed into waves and covered with foamy whiteheads as if a demon had gotten into the lately tranquil bosom, an adventure that afforded us a fresh illustration of the reality of the events which happened in Scripture. And the reason I read that is because the Sea of Galilee, like any other sea, but the Sea of Galilee can have sudden storms. And the reason that it can have sudden storms is because it's actually in a little bit of a valley. And so you can't see the storms coming as well. Okay? And then, of course, when that wind comes over the top of those hills, or mountains if you want to call them, um, it comes shooting down pretty fast. Now, I've been out in Canada fishing, okay? and I was uh, fishing for Northern Pike, and I was in a boat. And I was in a pretty big boat. It was my friend's boat. And uh, we're out in the middle of this giant lake in Canada, and storms start rolling in. Okay, Now... I'm not a, sail, a sailor or anything like that. So these storms starts rolling in, and these these three-foot waves, okay? He said they were three to four foot, so, you know, that tall, this tall. They're not very big waves, okay? But it, I got scared, okay? Because then you're in that boat, and you're like, I mean, you know, you guys that are actually on boats all the time, you're laughing at me. But I'm from Kansas, so most of the bodies of water that we're on, you can, like, take three steps, and you're across it. So... Uh, I got a little scared when I'm out in the middle of this big lake, and I don't know how deep it is, and these waves are coming. But my friend said that he had been out on Lake Michigan, and he had had 14-foot waves that he was rolling in. And, I mean, his boat, he said, was going way up and way down, and it's just a different thing. Now, the reason I share that and share Buchanan's story is because these guys were professional fishermen. Okay, they're professional fishermen. If this storm comes up on them in the middle of the lake, they're going to know how to get back. But this storm was so big that they couldn't which means that it was a big storm. Okay, this is a big storm. And look at it in verse 24. is a big storm, and it's early in the morning. Look at verse 25. It says it's in the fourth watch of the night, okay, that he came walking to them on the sea. So it's 
basically still dark out, but really, really early in the morning. Okay, that's like the before light time is that fourth watch. So it's early in the morning. Okay, and the disciples in verse 26 see him walking on the sea, and they were terrified, and they said, it is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. Okay, now this is, this is me too, okay, because think about their situation again. Try and put yourself in their shoes. They are in the middle of a storm, in their boat, it's raining, okay, the boats don't have cabs and air conditioning and stuff, so they're soaking wet, right? They probably haven't eaten in a while, so they're probably hungry, they're tired, they're everything, right? And the storm's going, and they see something out on the scene. They're like, oh, no, it's a ghost. There's a ghost. Okay? Now, if it was sunny out, they had just eaten, the lake was glassy, and they were sitting back chilling, fishing, and Jesus came walking on the water, what do you think they would have said? I don't know. But they might have said, hey, it's Jesus. He's walking on the water. Check that out. You know? But a lot of times when we're in a trial, and when we're in hard circumstances physically, okay, we don't think right. And we tend to go be extreme and say things and think things that aren't true. And so what do they do? They say, there's a ghost. Okay, there's a ghost out here. Hey, there's a ghost. And what does Jesus say in verse 27? He says, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Okay, their first response is fear, but then Jesus says, hey, it's me. Don't worry, it's me. Now, the proper response here is, Oh, perfect. Jesus is here. Hey, could you just settle this down a little bit so we can get back to the shore and get a good night's rest and get dry? I mean, that's the right response, right? That's the right response. Oh, Jesus, good. You're here. I trust you. Perfect. We're all good now, guys. Don't worry about it anymore. Um, and that, that's the response. And Peter's response is pretty close to that, honestly. I mean, it, he trusts God. He trusts Christ right here. Okay, And look at what he says in verse 28. He says, Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you. Now, that's a first class if, okay? That means if and it's true. That means Peter knows it's Jesus, okay? So he says, if and it's true, command me, okay, to come to you on the water. Command. So Peter says, hey, Jesus, I know it's you out there, so command me to come because I'm not just gonna jump in if like, I don't know that you're gonna, but I know it's you, so, and I know I can, I can come to you if you want me to, so Command me to come and I'll come. That's faith. That's faith in Jesus' power, right? Power to what? Well, to not let him drown or to walk on the water. I don't, I don't know if, G, if Peter knew that he was going to walk on the water, if he just thought he could swim out against the waves and use you know, Christ's power to do it that way. Either way, though, you're not jumping in a storm like this in the middle of the water without dying probably or drowning. So he's believing in Jesus' power here. And then he's believing in his love. He's saying, hey, um, Jesus, command me to come out there. Jesus commands him to come out there. If Jesus didn't love him, he'd just let him sink. Or he wouldn't command him, right? He's believing in his power. He's believing in his word. He believed Jesus when he says in verse 29, look at it. And he said, come. Okay, he believes all these things. How do we know he believes all these things? How do we know he has his faith? Verse 29, and Peter got out of the boat. And he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. So he believes all these things. He believes in Jesus' power, in his love, in his word. And he's on a spiritual high probably right now too, right? I mean, he gets out of the boat, he's walking on the water. Now, as he's walking on the water, okay, I don't want us to look at it and, and think like, yeah, there's some waves lapping his ankles, okay, as he's out here like jollily walking on the water, okay, because when 
a storm won't let their boat get back, and it's a big storm. I mean, there's going to be waves, right? There's going to be wind. There's going to be rain. In fact, uh, we may look at it in a second, but he may not even be able to see Jesus all the time because the waves and the wind and the, and the darkness and all this stuff. He may not even be able to see Jesus the whole time he's walking out to him, okay? Which makes it a lot more scary than what I picture in my mind a lot of times is, you know, just him just walking and Jesus being right there, uh, which Jesus is close to him at the end, but we'll look at it. Okay, so he's out on a spiritual high. He's out here walking in the middle of a big storm, okay? And then verse 30 happens, and we all know it. We all know what happens, and this happens to us all the time. But seeing the wind, okay? How can we see wind? How can you see wind? Well, you see wind, okay, um, in a lot of different ways. This is one that we see in Oklahoma, right? We see this kind of wind. We see tornadoes, okay? We see in Oklahoma rain going this way instead of this way, right? We see leaves rustling along the sidewalk. How does Peter see the wind? He sees the wind from the waves and maybe from the rain going this way and maybe from the sail, if they have any type of sail, a small sail up, he's going to see the wind in that way. How else is he going to see the wind? Well, that boat's probably rocking back and forth because of the wind. So what happens here? He's, so, he's on the spiritual high, He's walking on the water. He's coming to Jesus. He's believing, hey, Jesus got this. He's got it. I'm going. This is awesome. And he sees the waves and the wind. And remember, this is a real storm, okay? It's not a lap your ankles storm. So, I mean, Peter might be going like this to get through a wave every once in a while. Oh, there's Jesus. Oh, I got to get through. Oh, there's Jesus over there. You know, I mean, this, this might be a huge storm that he can't even see Jesus all the time. And so when these waves start lapping against him, start hitting him, he's, and he sees that, okay, what happens? He becomes frightened. He becomes frightened, and he begins to sink. Okay, he begins to sink. Okay, stop right here. This is exactly what happens to us all the time, or at least to me. Maybe not to you guys, but it happens to me all the time. Okay, we're doing so good. Life is good. Life is, you know, we maybe we even just got through a trial or we're in the middle of a trial, but we're, we're seeking God and, man, we're on top of the world. Okay, but then doubt starts to creep in. Okay, we know it's doubt. Okay, we're going to see it in a second, but it's because Jesus says it is in verse 31. He says, why did you doubt? Okay, we know this is doubt. Okay, but doubt starts to creep into our lives. Okay, doubt starts to creep in. Instead of trusting Jesus in his, in his power and his love and his word, we start thinking, man, I don't know about this. I don't know about this. Now, did Peter believe in Jesus as the Messiah still here? Yeah, I think so. Okay, did Peter still believe factually in Jesus' power and his love and his word? I think so. What does, he, what does he do at the end of verse 30? He cries out, Lord, save me. If he doesn't believe that Jesus is powerful, why would he cry out for Jesus to save him? I mean, that's the first person he runs to, which also, honestly, he doesn't get enough credit for. You gotta, I mean, the first person he runs to when, when he starts sinking is Jesus, right? He's not like, oh, Jesus is letting me sink. Forget Jesus. I'm going with the boat. He cries out to Jesus, right? Because he still, factually, he believes that. But he's got these doubts, these arrows, these fiery arrows of doubt that are penetrating his life that are saying, I don't know about this. I don't know about this. So what would he be thinking? Okay, what would he be thinking? He's out on the lake. Okay, the storm is going on. Jesus is in front of him. The boat's behind him. And so as he starts walking, he starts seeing this wind. What's he thinking? He's thinking, there's no way this is real. There's no way I can walk on the water. 
are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? What if, what if this pops in his mind? What if this pops in his mind? Well, what if Jesus just leads me out there and lets me sink when I get out there? What if that happens? That's, it's a doubt. It's an arrow of doubt, right? In my mind, in your mind, looking at this story, we're like, how could he, how, why would he think that? But that's what we think in our trials, right? We, we might think, man, I think this is all a dream, and there's no way that I'm walking on this water. We think, well, maybe Jesus is just messing around with me. He's going to let me walk on the water, and he's going to let me sink. Or maybe he can only keep me up for a certain amount of time. What if I'm running out of time? I better hurry. I better start running. So I'm running out of time, maybe. I don't, I don't know. And um, that's what happens to us. Okay? Did he understand how Jesus was making him walk on the water? No. I mean, we don't even understand how that, right? Did he understand why Jesus allowed him to walk in the water? Probably not, right? Did he even comprehend the power that it takes to walk on the water? No. But he was still walking on the water. And sometimes questions, okay, those kind of questions and other questions cause doubt and fear in the believer's life, which leads to ineffectiveness is what it leads to. Okay, it causes doubts and fears in our life. Okay, the... The devil's walked around, okay? The demons are around. Our own flesh is around. The world's around shooting those fiery arrows at us, trying to get us to be ineffective. Okay, he's never going to take away our salvation, but man, he's trying to make us ineffective. He's trying to make me ineffective. He's trying to make you ineffective. And if he can get us to doubt, okay, get us to not believe that God is who he says he is, then man, we start getting ineffective. Okay, just like Peter, he starts sinking. Okay, he starts sinking. He's doing so good. He's, doing, he's being effective, if you will, walking on the water, and then those arrows start flying at him, and he starts sinking. He starts becoming ineffective. What would Paul tell Peter? Okay? What would Paul tell, I think this is what Paul would tell Peter. I think he'd be like, where's your shield of faith, bro? Because those arrows of doubt are knocking you down. Get up your shield of faith, man. What are you doing? You're letting these arrows knock you down. You're literally walking on the water. You know Jesus is going to let you keep walking on the water to him. He commanded you to come to him, and you're currently on the water walking. What is wrong with you? Get your shield of faith up. You know Jesus can do it. You know Jesus can do it. So get your shield of faith up and continue walking on the water. Okay, verse 31. I love this. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it uh, just because we don't have time. But it says, immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, took hold of him, and said, Oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt? Interesting thing here, we're going to look at this uh, account in Acts as well. End result of both of them are the same. Peter's saved. One he doubts, one he doesn't. End result, both the same. Jesus saved them both times. Because Jesus is merciful and graceful. He's full of grace. He loves us. And he loves Peter here. And he still saves them. He could, what could have Jesus done? Dude, you're doubting. You're on your own, bro. Like, stop doubting me, and then maybe I'll let you come back up. You know? I mean, that's what Jesus could have said, but he didn't. He said, no, nah, I'll, I'll get you. Oh, you have little faith. Oh, you have little faith. Which indicates that he did have faith, by the way. It was just, doubt. he was just doubting it. Which sometimes in our own life, um, <clears throat> you know, we believe in Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ for eternal life, and we have that eternal life forever. Past, present, and future tense, it's never going to go away, right? That's like a one-time thing. But in our Christian life, in our daily life, faith can be like strong and weak. 
You know what I mean? Like here, Peter's faith is weak. He still has it, but it's weak. And this one we're about to look at, it's strong. It's strong because he's got a shield of faith up. So turn to Acts chapter 4. Turn to Acts chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 8 through 13. I'm going to give you a hair of context just because of time. I'm not going to read uh, verses 1 through 20. But that's really where the entire thing is. But basically, Peter and John are out preaching. They heal a guy. Uh, They're basically doing a lot of stuff in Jesus' name. And the religious leaders, they get obviously angered at this. They've already killed Jesus because of all this, uh, because he's going to take away, you know, their power, their prestige, all this. And so they arrest Peter and uh, John, and they're getting ready to have them answer them. So they're like, hey, why are you guys doing what you're doing? You know, answer us kind of a thing. And remember, these are religious leaders, so they have a lot of power. Um, really, they have power to kill uh, Peter and John if they, if they wanted to. They could. Um, so let's look at verse 8. This is when Peter answers them, <clears throat> excuse me, as they're standing before these leaders. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man was made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified and God raised from the dead by this name, The man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no other, no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now look at this, verse 13. This is really cool. Now as they, the religious leaders of the standing before, observe the confidence of Peter and John, and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. Okay, so this is an entirely different uh, result, or entirely different way that Peter acted, not result, excuse me, different way that Peter acted in a trial. Is this a trial? When we look at this, we're like, ah, I guess. When we look at the storm, like, man, that's a trial. But why do we look at the storm as a trial? Because he started sinking. Okay? In this, we're like, is this a trial? I don't know. Well, think about it. Jesus already told Peter that he was going to die. Jesus already told Peter that he was going to die for him. So Peter knows he's going to die at some point, okay, for Christ. And now he does these miracles. He's doing this good stuff for Christ. And where is he at? He's standing before the people who just killed Christ. Could those people kill him? Absolutely. He's, pro- I mean, in my mind, okay, this is just me thinking, but in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, they just killed Christ. Christ told me that, Jesus, he told me that I'm going to die. Well, this is probably my time to die, okay? This is probably my time to die. So this is a trial for sure in his life, okay? He, he responds in the right way. He responds in faith, and he has his shield of faith up, but this is a trial, no doubt, in his life, and a trial in which he is confident in Jesus, Okay, and we know that because of their response to him and just, I mean, look at his response. I mean, you can see he's confident in Christ just by the response that he has to him. Okay, and so what's the difference? Okay, what's the difference here in Peter on the water or Peter in front of the religious leaders? Okay, what's the difference? Well, one difference that I'm going to note but not talk about is verse 8 that he, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Um, we all have the Holy Spirit in us now and we have that power. But here's the thing. Okay, we're, we're talking about how we as believers can go from doubt to confidence. The Holy Spirit doesn't make you. Okay, the Holy Spirit doesn't make you have confidence. He 
gives you the power to have confidence. He gives you the words to say. He gives you everything you need, but it's still a choice, right? It's still a choice, okay? Holy Spirit or not, Peter could have doubted in this situation. Peter could have allowed those doubts to get to him, and he could have said, I don't know about this. We'll, we'll just stop. We'll just stop talking about Jesus for now since these guys are wanting me to stop, okay? So he does have the Holy Spirit, and we have the Holy Spirit as well. But the real difference is where his eyes are, okay? We want to be like Peter here. We want to be confident in the Lord despite our circumstances. And here, he has his eyes on Jesus. He has his eyes on Jesus. Where do you have his eyes in the, in the storm? On the wind. On the wind. The wind and the waves, right? The, the storm. His eyes were on the storm. Where were his eyes here? On Jesus, Okay, you can look at his response. You can look at their response to him. His eyes are on Jesus here. Okay, where are my eyes when doubts and fears and anxieties, depression, sinful anger, you know, all this kind of stuff, when this, this is all coming at me, where are my eyes? Okay, because arrows are going to fly. Okay, fiery arrows are going to fly. They're going to want, they're going to try and make you doubt. They're going to try and make you um, doubt God. I mean, they are. They're going to come at you. But where are your eyes? Okay, the hard questions, I don't understand. I don't, I don't get what's going on. Where's the brown sugar? God, you said there's brown sugar, but I don't see any brown sugar. Okay, those are hard times in our life, and it's hard um, to explain. And, you know, honestly, God is so unsearchable and unfathomable, unfathomable, however you say that. I can't even say the word that he is. You know what I'm saying? He is so great that we're never going to be able to comprehend or understand who he is and what he's doing, okay? Just like my two-year-old can't understand what I'm doing because I'm like 20-something years older than him, God is a lot more than 20-something years older than me in wisdom and understanding and knowledge, right? So what in the world makes me think that I'm going to understand everything he's doing, right? And so these, these questions are going to come up in our life. They're going to come up in our life, when, especially when you're in a hard circumstance or in a, in a time in your life that's hard. These things are going to come up. Is God, is God real? Is, does he love you? Is he all-powerful? How can God do this if this is happening? How can God be this if that's going on? Okay? All these things are going to come up. And in those times, we want to be confident, like Peter was here. Because regardless of what Anyone says, he's in a trial as he's standing before these religious leaders. Okay, I want any of us in this room to stand up before a group of people who want to kill us and have the power to kill us and answer and respond in this way. Okay, can't do it without having our eyes fixed on Christ and using the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I'm going to spend the rest of the time on our, kind of our application, on our conclusion. We're going to be in Ephesians a little bit. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, we'll be there in just a second. Okay, doubt's a real thing. It causes us as believers to be ineffective. The question is, how can we fight doubt? Okay, because those arrows of doubt aren't going to stop flying. Okay, or arrows of anxiety or depression or, or whatever it is. Like those arrows aren't going to stop flying. It's not like we're not going to be tempted. It's not like the world's going to go away or Satan's going to go away or my flesh is going to go away. So how do you fight against it? This is found in Ephesians chapter 6 um, where very famously Paul talks about the uh, the, the armor of God, and in verse 16, okay, he talks about the flaming arrows and how to extinguish them. Okay, so let's look at it. It says, in addition to all, 
taking up the shield of faith which, which, with which you will be able to extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. So this is a shield of faith. Okay, this is a shield of faith. This is trusting Jesus. This is trusting God in my everyday life, in his power, his love, his promises, his word. Okay, so I've got a couple pictures of some shields. Okay, this one over here, this red one. Okay, that's, a, that's an old Roman shield. That's what most of them used. Um, and then this one, it's smaller, so that's what they gave their mercenaries. You know, like, your hey, mercenaries, you can get a smaller shield. Uh, and then they, they use these big ones. These are almost like body-sized shields that they would use sometimes. And they would use them, um, there's a cool way they use them. They call it the tortoise, okay? And each soldier would get one of these shields, and all the ones in the front line would hold the shield upright this way, okay? Then the next one in line would hold it kind of above their head, and they would make, and they would go down holding it above their head, and the side guys would hold it on the side, like right side, left side, and they'd make a big shell. They called it a tortoise because it's like a tortoise shell. And they would be able to run up all in sync to a, to a wall or a castle or whatever, and they'd be able to get up there without being hit by the projectiles, right? Because what is a shield for? It's to block the projectiles, right? I mean, you can use a shield in sword fighting, but a good sword fighter is going to parry with the sword, right? He's going to use that shield to block all of those arrows coming at him, okay? And Paul says, hey, we need to get this up. We need to get this up. We need to get it up so that we will uh, extinguish those fiery darts. Now, I don't know all of you in here super well, so some of you may practice holding shield like shields up and like be like these guys, but I don't know how to wield a shield, okay? And it would take some practice for me to be able to get a shield up. First off, for me to get strength in my arm to hold it up for a long time, but then secondly, to be able to actually block stuff with it, right? With some practice, I might be able to get good at it, but I would need practice, okay? And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying we got to get that shield up, and it takes practice to get that shield up sometimes. What are these arrows that are flying at us that we're practicing against? What are these arrows that are flying at us? Well, it's the devil saying what? It's the devil saying a a lie that looks true usually. Okay, just like this is what JB uh, always says about Eve in the garden. He says, just like he did, meaning Satan, with Eve, Satan tries to get us to doubt God's love and his word. How does he do that? Well, he told Eve some truths and a lie. What did he tell Jesus in the wilderness? Some truths, and he actually quoted scripture and then just used it the wrong way to lie. He, he tries to tell us stuff that looks right. Okay, that's why we can't see the brown sugar. Right? That's why we can't see the brown sugar. Because if there's brown sugar in my oatmeal, and God said, look, there's the brown sugar, and I can't see it, what's the devil going to say? You can't see it, so there's obviously no brown sugar there, Hunter. There's obviously no brown sugar. Hunter, this situation that you're in obviously is not good. And God allows everything, and he's the, he's the creator of all, right? So if this situation has bad things in it, then that means God's not good, doesn't it? If God really loved you, you'd probably have this and that and this. And this would probably be where you're at in life if God really loved you. And he uses these things that look so right and so good and so true, and he twists them to get us to doubt God's love and God's word. That's what he does, and that's where our shield of faith comes into action. Okay, so how do we practice this? How do we practice putting up our shield of faith in order to extinguish those arrows. Because 
I don't know about you, but I want to extinguish those arrows when they come at me. It's not like they're going to stop coming, but I want to extinguish them when they come. Here's a couple of things. Okay, you can do a lot of things. Here's a couple of things that I think of. One is spend time with God. Okay, spend time with God. If we get to know God and we spend time with him, okay, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna know him, right? Satan says, well, God doesn't love you. Yeah, he does. I know he does. I know him. I know he loves me, right? You can focus on the truths about God. Okay, what's he trying to get us to believe? He's trying to get, a, get us to believe lies about God. So what do you do? Focus on the truth about God. Focus on who God is, right? Focus on that he's all loving. He's all powerful. He loves you. He never lies. Okay, another thing, this is a good one. Praise God every day. Okay, what's the difference in thanking God and praising God? Thanking God is, we all know what that is, thanking him for something he's done, something he will do, he has done. We're thanking him even for who he is. Praising God is telling him who he is. Praising God is telling him who he is. God, you are all loving. You are all powerful. You are just. You are perfect. You are holy. That's praising God. So if we start praising God, okay, that's renewing our mind with the truth. Okay, that's holding your shield of faith up. If I'm renewing my mind with that, it's a lot harder for those arrows to start actually hitting me. Okay, my shield of faith is going to extinguish them. Okay, memorize scripture. This is a good one because if we're memorizing the word of God, Okay, we're going to be able, that's, that's putting that shield of faith up because we're going to have that shield of faith if we're memorizing scripture. Okay, I think, all right, sweet. Um, another thing you can do, I, I, I wanted to put it on there, but I didn't. Thank God for the Ebenezer's in your life. Ebenezer's are remembrances or things that have happened to you. So, have you, I don't know if you guys have heard, but the story about, I know I'm already over a little bit, but I'm going to tell you a quick story, sorry. Um, Whenever I moved here to Stillwater, it was all God, okay? I, I was getting ready to get married. I didn't have a job. God provided a job in Oklahoma. It was a sales rep job, okay? But their one requirement was that I had to live in Oklahoma, anywhere in Oklahoma. I could choose wherever I wanted to be. So I did, and I chose Stillwater, and it was random. I don't know why I chose Stillwater, okay? But... Looking back on it, it's like, look what God did to lead me to where I'm at right now. That was all him. That's an Ebenezer. Okay, we do that. That's putting up the shield of faith, remembering that. Okay, so just in closing, remember this. Remember God loves you. He's infinite and he's all-powerful. He never lies. Okay, so don't focus on the brown sugar that you can't see. Focus on what's true about God. Okay, there is brown sugar. It's there. It might be melted and it might not look like clumpy and all that, but there's brown sugar. It's there. God never lies. If he told you it's there, it's there. So don't focus on the things that you, that you look at and you say, hmm, I don't know about that. I don't know about that, God. Focus on who God is. Okay? And then pretty soon you'll probably actually start figuring out, oh, that's what he was doing. That's what he was doing back then. That's what he was doing. 